This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Justice Amy Coney Barrett, the newest Supreme Court justice, joined three liberal colleagues in an opinion that said Alabama can't execute a convicted murderer unless he can have his pastor by his side. The court's latest action blocked the state from executing Willie B. Smith III for a murder in 1991. The state will need to reschedule his execution. This decision came less than a week after Barrett took a somewhat nuanced stance on California's COVID-19 restrictions on religious services. Joining me is Jordan Rubin, Bloomberg Law Editor. So, first of all, why did Alabama want to execute an inmate without his pastor in the chamber? Prison officials claimed it was for security reasons. We've seen that in a number of states across the country, giving rise to these claims from inmates saying that those concerns shouldn't override what they're saying are their religious rights to have their spiritual advisors with them. And what happened at the uh, court below? So the court below, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit, sided with the inmate Smith, saying that the state could not execute him without having his pastor in the chamber. And that's what led the state to then appeal to the Supreme Court to try and get that injunction lifted so they could execute Smith without his pastor in the chamber. So now, Justice Barrett voted with the three liberal justices. Who wrote the opinion and what did it say? This was an opinion by Justice Kagan, and as he mentioned, it was joined by the other two Democratic appointees as well as Justice Barrett. And it said essentially that the state's interest in security, although compelling, as Kagan acknowledged, doesn't override Smith's right on religious grounds to have his pastor with him. The state didn't do enough to prove why its security interests should override that religious interest. And now, who was the fifth vote to stop the execution? That's a mystery, June, and it brings up another topic that you and I have discussed, the Supreme Court's shadow docket, where the justices do not always explain how they vote. And we saw really an extreme version of that in this instance, because we know that those four justices sided with Smith. We know that Justices Thomas, Roberts, and Kavanaugh noted their dissent. And that leaves Justices Alito and Gorsuch. And so what we know is that in order to form a majority, the four justices, Barrett and the three Democratic appointees, would have needed at least Alito or Gorsuch to be with them. So we know that it was at least one of them. It was possibly both. But we just don't know because those two justices did not indicate one way or the other. And those two justices have been strong supporters of the death penalty. Could it be that they didn't want anyone to know their position here? It's possible that they have been two of the strongest justices to rule against inmates and for the government in death penalty cases. There are also two justices who voted strongly in favor of religious rights against other rights that have come into play. And so we just don't know. And so I don't necessarily assume that it was not both of them that voted with the majority, but because they didn't tell us, it just leaves really unnecessary speculation. There's no reason why they can't just tell us how they voted like the other justices did. So tell us about the dissenters. Sure. So we had Justice Thomas, who merely noted the fact that he would have granted the state's application, but didn't say more than that, while Justices 
Kavanaugh and Roberts, they would have lifted the state's injunction. And it's interesting because all of this in some ways traces back to an idea that Justice Kavanaugh had when this religious advisor issue was previously before the court. It was actually Justice Kavanaugh who said if states wanted to avoid any issues of favoring one religion over another, they could just simply bar ministers of all faiths from the chamber. And so Texas and Alabama, in this case, took him up on that offer. That led to this wave of litigation. And so that's a long way of saying that while Kavanaugh and Roberts would have gone along with what the state wanted to do in this instance, the takeaway, they said, is that states should really find a way to let these executions go forward with spiritual advisors, just so it's not giving rise to this 11th hour litigation coming from either side. And so Kavanaugh and Roberts, even though they disagreed, I think Kavanaugh and Roberts understand the interest here. And so I think the point is they just don't want to see any more of this litigation, which they deem to be unnecessary. So now it appears that there are at least five votes so that people on death row who want a spiritual advisor have to get a spiritual advisor. I think that's right, and possibly more than five votes. I should say that there's potentially nuance depending on what grounds of religious freedom inmates are raising their claim. There are different parts of the First Amendment. There is a statute that was relevant in this case, which different justices could have different opinions on. But broadly speaking, what we've seen in the last few years from a court that really has declined to side with death row inmates on pretty much any ground, this ground of religious advisor is really the only one that's been winning as far as it goes for inmates. And so I think that's safe to say that it's unlikely that an inmate is going to be executed without their religious advisor, barring some type of circumstance that we haven't seen yet over the last few years. Jordan, so there have been several controversial cases involving death row inmates having a religious advisor with them in the chamber when they're executed. One involved a Muslim inmate, another a Buddhist inmate. Tell us about them. Sure. And so in Alabama, this was another case from Alabama that really set all these this off. It was a death row inmate. This was back in 2019, a man named Dominique Ray. And he was executed without his imam in the chamber. And this was after the Supreme Court said that he was not entitled to that. And that really caused an outrage and a bipartisan outrage at that. And I think in some ways the court might have thought that it had some egg on its face and then it reversed course in a sense. And so that still lends itself to criticism from some circles that it only ruled against that man because he was Muslim when the court had gone on to rule more favorably in favor of other religions. And so regardless of that, what we've seen since that Alabama case and the outrage that it sparked is that the court has changed course and has decided on different grounds in different cases with different justices indicating that they're voting one way or the other, but that on the whole, the court is saying, we don't want states executing inmates without religious advisors with them. So now Justice Barrett is getting some attention because of this decision, because she joined with the liberals. And it's the second time in less than a week that she has not joined with her most conservative colleagues. That's right. And so I think in some ways, it's tough to tell a lot from just a couple of data points. But one thing that it does show is that for people heading into Justice Barrett's confirmation who are worried this is going to be a 6-3 lockstep court on every issue, what we've learned is that at least that's not the case. Now, in these recent cases, these have been decisions that 
aren't necessarily going to change the course of the law. Take this death row case that we're talking about. All that's happening here is that this man can have his pastor with him when he's executed. There's no question of whether he's still going to be executed. In a recent case on COVID-19, where Barrett didn't join with all of the other Republican appointees, it was to take sort of a more not moderate approach in terms of how a church could reopen, but to be clear that it could reopen and allow people in. And so it's certainly no way of saying that Justice Barrett is emerging as some type of liberal. Really, all it's saying is that the court is not going to be a 6-3 monolith in every case. And it's interesting that both these cases that we're talking about involve religious rights. For sure. And so one way to look at it is that this death penalty case isn't really a death penalty case. It's a religion case. And so it's really a consistency on Justice Barrett's part, arguably, if you look at her decisions, that she's consistently siding in favor of religion, whereas perhaps other justices have been inconsistent on those grounds. And so that is another takeaway that we have from these recent decisions from Justice Barrett. And maybe other justices like Alito and Gorsuch are doing the same, but uh, they did not find it fit to tell us how they voted in this case. So we're left speculating as to them. In a normal case, you get to see how all the justices vote. But in this case, you didn't. Explain again why they're allowed to sort of conceal their opinions. Well, as with pretty much everything else about the Supreme Court, they're allowed to do it because they're in charge and there's no (laughs) intergalactic Supreme Court that people can appeal to. This is simply how the justices have decided uh, is a reasonable way to operate when these emergency applications come up. They have to rule one way or the other. They have to make an order one way or the other, but they've seen it fit to say that it's not owed to the public to say how they voted in a given case. And these are cases that can be just as important, if not sometimes more important than cases that are argued and justices write lengthy decisions on the merits. And so just to be clear, a reason that's been brought up for why they don't do that is because this is happening in a very rushed nature and it's happening at the 11th hour. And so some have said that that's the reason why they don't do it. Of course, there's a reason in their head when they make a decision one way or the other. And so I don't think it would necessarily have to be a lengthy decision, but it would be helpful if there was some even short decision, or at least say which way you voted, that seems like it would be a reasonable course to make. I like the intergalactic Supreme Court. I may have to borrow that. Um, (laughs) So there's a very controversial case involving religious rights that the Supreme Court heard arguments on but hasn't made a decision in. That case might be illuminating, and it involves a clash between religious rights and gay rights. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. That case is Fulton against the city of Philadelphia. As you mentioned, it is in some ways a clash between religious rights and gay rights. There's Catholic Social Services, which is seeking to not have to work with same-sex couples on the grounds that it would violate its religious rights. And so this is another example of a case similar in some ways going back to the court's masterpiece cake shop case that some of us may remember about the baker who did not want to Take a cake for a same-sex couple that is being argued on religious grounds, people saying they shouldn't have to do things because of their religion, but an effect of the decision, if it does go in the religious grounds favor, is that it could have potential adverse effects for LGBTQ rights. Thanks for being on the Bloomberg Law Show, Jordan. That's Jordan Rubin, Bloomberg Law Editor. 
Progressives want bold steps like expanding the Supreme Court, but a bipartisan commission appointed by President Joe Biden is more likely to recommend changes like allowing cameras in the courts, establishing term limits for Supreme Court justices, or slowly adding lower court judges. Joining me is Madison Alder, Bloomberg Law Reporter. So Madison, tell us about this commission. So this bipartisan commission was something that Biden suggested on the campaign trail amid some really intense pressure from progressive groups to expand the size of the Supreme Court. And those calls came, of course, after the passing of Justices Bader Ginsburg and Trump's nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the high court. You know, progressives said that Trump had had too much influence over the Supreme Court uh, and they wanted to have some kind of a response in time. So packing the court has kind of been uh, progressive rallying cry to, you know, have some kind of court reform. Biden suggested this on the campaign trail, kind of what some people saw as a dodge of answering the question directly of would he expand the size of the Supreme Court? Uh, he said he would study court reform. He even mentioned that there, you know, this isn't necessarily about court packing. It's, it could go beyond that. So he kind of gave an indication there that it wouldn't be about court packing. But now that that commission is is starting to take shape and ideas are swirling uh, as far as what the commission could actually address. Tell us who has already been appointed to the commission. So there's been a couple of people that the White House has confirmed Um that uh, have been added to the commission. So it's Bob Bauer, who is a Biden campaign lawyer who served as White House counsel for President Barack Obama, and Christina Rodriguez, who's a Yale law professor and was a senior Justice Department official under Obama. Um, And then two others uh, have been reported by Politico, and that is the American Constitution Society's former president, Caroline Fredrickson, and a uh, Bush uh, Justice Department official Jack Goldsmith. So those are some of the names that are, are floating out there right now. Uh, it's not the end of the line for how many people would be appointed to this commission. Uh, we'll probably see more soon, but it is kind of what started this conversation again around the commission now that we have some of its membership. So these are sort of moderate voices. Are there any more intense voices, let's say, from Demand Justice or one of the progressive court organizations? So they haven't been added to the commission yet, but those groups are are certainly looking at this list. And, you know, some progressives see the addition of someone like Jack Goldsmith, who, who you know, was part of the Bush administration, um, you know, as, as really not great for their cause for adding the seat to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, I, I spoke to a professor who, who told me that this really will be more of a moderate commission. Anything that they come up with will, will kind of have to be moderate. And, uh, you know, many of the uh, professors that I spoke to for, for my story that look at this area said that it, it really won't be about court packing and that they're going to have to look at different issues where they might be able to get, you know, someone like a former American Constitution Society president and someone like Jack Goldsmith on board. Even from the start, it seems like this is not going to be something that will satisfy the progressives that are trying to push Biden. Right. You know, I I spoke to Noah Feldman, who is a professor at Harvard Law School, and he said it was really designed that way. 
um, if you're going to make a bipartisan commission, he said that, you know, by definition, it, it really can't recommend something that fits the progressive agenda. But that doesn't mean there aren't other issues that the commission could look at that do have bipartisan support. One of those issues is lower court expansion, which is something that has been talked about, but really Congress has not addressed for, uh, you know, the last several years, the last time appellate courts uh, were, you know, expanded and, and seats were added to the appellate courts was in 1990. And the Judicial Conference in 2019 uh, requested 65 new trial court judges um, and, and several uh, additions to the Ninth Circuit as well. Um, they're, they're expected to update those recommendations soon. Um, it, it's something that, you know, there have been bipartisan bills introduced in Congress over this, but just really hasn't gained traction. So that is something that the commission could potentially look at that could have some bipartisan interest, though I, I should say it wouldn't expand the lower courts immediately. Um, typically, these bills will uh, add seats throughout different presidential administrations. So um, I think we can expect a bill in, in this Congress especially to, to do the same, to, to really uh, add these seats over each four-year cycle for you know the next several years. I was going to say that will Republicans oppose it if all of a sudden Joe Biden gets a chance to appoint so many appellate judges on the Ninth Circuit, for example, and trial judges. But so you're saying it would be sort of spaced in. Right. This would be something that would likely be phased in. Biden might get a few judges in in a proposal like that, but um, bills that have added judges to the lower courts in the past have done that kind of uh, format where they will add judgeships uh, for different presidential administrations. And even, you know, former uh, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham during the last Congress suggested adding judgeships to uh, the lower courts before the election, you know, so it wouldn't be political. Um, obviously, that, <laughs> that ship has sailed and Congress will need to consider maybe adding more judgeships in four years, um, or maybe adding a few in the meantime, but that is something that the commission could definitely look at. It is an issue that has gotten bipartisan interest in the past. Might they consider term limits for Supreme Court justices, if not packing the court? So term limits are, are another issue that has had bipartisan interest, including from some pretty prominent folks on, on, on both sides of this issue. So um, Stephen Calabrese, who is one of the founders of the Federalist Society, has written about this over the years and, and suggested 18-year term limits for Supreme Court justices to kind of get away from the political nature of of the court and and also having to worry about health issues of the justices and, and whether or not they're going to step down or, or, or pass away. Um, and that's something that, that people on the left have also looked at, including um, one of the potential members of this committee, Caroline Fredrickson, who uh, seemed to support this in, in August of last year. Um, she was on a panel for the Center for American Progress and uh, talking about term limits and said that she was inclined to agree with, with Calabrese. And um, there are benefits to, to term limits. So it's definitely something that, that the commission could take a look at. Um, though it remains to be seen if, if Biden would be on board as you know he has kind of... Um, Seem to seem to oppose the idea of of term limits for for Supreme Court justices. So um, they, they'd have to convince him to get on board with that idea as well. Now, cameras in the courts. 
I, almost every time that I can recall Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings, they're asked questions about cameras at the Supreme Court, and they seem open to it until they get on the bench. What about cameras in the courts outside of the Supreme Court? The last thing the commission could do would be to look at some of these issues like cameras in the court that, uh, you know, are kind of around the margins. They're not major, major court reforms, but they're issues that have had bipartisan interest in Congress and and just, you know, really haven't gotten any traction. They haven't gone anywhere. Um, one of those, obviously, is cameras in the courts. Um, Senators Patrick Leahy and Chuck Grassley, who are both former chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, have supported this issue over the years, um, adding cameras in the courts, adding access um, so that the public can can engage in in um, some of these really important oral arguments. And um, then there are other issues like uh, you know ethics reforms for for the Supreme Court uh, and uh, you know potentially. Uh, updating things like the code of conduct to to make sure that that justices uh, have the same kind of ethics requirements as, as the other two branches of government, and those are things that um, continue to get bipartisan support. So those are some of the other things around the margins. I think that the that the commission could look at um, if it if it is bipartisan. We've discussed so many times how Trump transformed the judiciary, making it much more conservative. What does Biden intend to do? What's his intention as far as judicial appointments? So Biden has really grown up with judicial appointments as a lawmaker. I mean, he was a chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and a, and a member for many years. So a lot of his work and a lot of what he, he did in Congress involved the confirmation of Supreme Court justices and lower court judges. So he, he is very familiar with this issue in a way that a lot of previous presidents aren't. And that also has, has drawn a lot of attention to what he might do on this issue. He has so far uh, indicated kind of an aggressive push for adding judges and, and nominating judges. His White House chief counsel, Dana Remus, sent a letter to uh, Democratic senators during the transition asking them to send in their recommendations for federal judgeships within, I think it was just over a month of a federal judgeship becoming vacant, or if they already had vacancies, they wanted them the day before inauguration. So they're they're kind of signaling that they're going to be looking at this issue. We haven't seen any nominations from Biden yet, but it seems to be pretty standard to, to focus on things like uh, cabinet appointments first and, and then to move on to judges. It's definitely something that that I'm watching, and, and I know many others are watching, to see exactly how aggressive this administration is on on judicial nominations. Thanks, Madison. That's Bloomberg Law reporter Madison Alder. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg.